Please be turning to number 26. 26. I don't have my uh, Mr. Rogers sweater on this morning, so you might be disappointed, but hey, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Number 26, <clears throat> after this hymn, Brother Joe will lead us in a prayer and, and welcome. All the way my Savior leads me, what am I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know, whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know, whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, flow a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, flow a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my soul, endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song in endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Good morning and welcome to all, especially our visitors. You are our special guest. And we pray that if you are looking for a church home, that you have found it here, where we strive to worship in spirit and truth. What a great blessing we have to live in a country where we still have freedoms to worship our God without fear what a blessing that is 
for other places in this world as we know today there's a war going on in Israel we should pray that God will intervene there and that his will will be done thank you for your presence if you are a visitor we would appreciate it if you'd take a moment to fill out a blue card put it in the plate when it is handed around we'd like to visit with you after services to get to know you better This is my first time for announcements, and I pray that you would forgive me. I'm going to try to get through this without making any mistakes. Please pick up a bulletin. There is a wealth of information here. It has especially those of our number that are sick on our prayer list. And I know that prayers work. They've worked in my life, and I hope they have worked in yours. We have two additional new announcements for Kelly Cosbooth, who we just had become one of our new sisters in Christ recently. Her husband has pneumonia and is not doing well. The medications are not working. His name is Michael. Please add him to the prayer list and lift him up to God. Our brother in Christ, Kenneth Hanby, is in the hospital. Kenneth has been struggling for a while. Please keep him in your prayers. I'd like to add myself to the prayer list. I'm having some health issues myself. And I would appreciate all the prayers that I can get. Let us go to our Father in prayer. Father, as we approach your throne, praying through Jesus, your precious Son and our Savior, praying, Father, that you will forgive us of our sins, that we may stand before you, Lord, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, made whole and perfect, Father by your love and his sacrifice. We pray, Father God, that you will work in our lives, that you will work in this world intervene, Father, where the evil one is trying to stir up turmoil and chaos Strike him down, Father. That we can experience peace 
Help each and every one of us, Father, to join in that spiritual fight that you've instructed us to carry on as your disciples. Bless each and every one of us, Father. Give us from evil and harm. Be with those of our number that are sick, those that are injured, those that are struggling so many other ways, Father, that we're not aware of. But we know you are aware of their needs, and it's our prayer, Father, that you provide them with whatever they need. We pray, Father, for the elders of this congregation. We pray, Father, that you would guide them in all things to lead us, to keep us on the straight and narrow path, Father. We pray, Father, that you would be with our young Christians to help strengthen them, Father, in your word. To guide them, Father, in their daily lives. Be with those, Father, of our number that are elderly. We're so thankful, Father, for their, their faith and their leadership in this congregation. They are truly a blessing to us. We ask you, Father God, to be with Josh this morning as he brings us a lesson from your word and that we can apply it to our lives and share it, Father, with others that they may come to the knowledge of the truth before it's everlasting too late. We pray all these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Number 194. 194. As we sing these hymns this morning, let's sing with understanding and with our hearts we read of a place that's called heaven it's made for the pure and the free these truths in god's word he has given how beautiful heaven must be how beautiful heaven must be Sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be, in heaven no drooping nor pining, no wishing for else be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be.
sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be, your waters of life there are flowing, and all who will drink may be free. Their jewels of splendor are glowing. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. <clears throat> Number 142, 142. <clears throat> My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign, my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art place a marker at number 706, 706. Use that as a song of encouragement. Number 706. 
Then turn to number 408. 408. And it's convenient for you. Would you please stand? And remain standing for the prayer to follow. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, Loving, forgiving, tender and kind. Helping the helpless, cheering the fainting. Seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. Pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave. Meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer, others to save. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing, Lord, from this moment all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image, Deep on my heart. Will you bow with me, please? Our God and our Father, which art in heaven, we thank you for the day that you have given us, and we thank you most of all that you sent your Son here and died for us. 
We thank you for the love you have bestowed upon us and all the blessings you bestow upon us each and every day. You know, sometimes we get weary and aggravated, but, you know, Father, you are a blessing to all of us. We pray, Father, that you'll help us throughout life and guide us and direct us in the way that we'll go. And pray, Father, you'll be with these countries and help them get their uh, control of the things and, and stop these wars that are going on. We know, Father, your will is being done upon this earth. We need to accept that and live it in a way that we'll be pleasing unto thee, that we may be with thee someday. Father, watch over us this day and guide us and direct us and help us in all things we do. For these things we ask in our Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a good morning to come together and worship, if I do say so myself. And... I appreciate everybody that's here, and for me, this is a good time to, to come and be with you guys in the midst of a, a world that seems very chaotic right now. It doesn't just seem, it is chaotic right now. It's always chaotic, but it's very apparent things that are going on, and this is a good time for us to get together, to take a breath, and to fully refocus on God together in His Word, through songs and prayer, and to encourage one another, to lift up the faint-hearted, to see one another. Some of us that have been sick are out for a little bit. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see Carol back here, almost in the very front row. And it's good to see we also got a youth section growing right here. That's pretty cool, isn't it? We're going to be in the book of Ruth this morning. We were in it last week, and, and today we will wrap up our time in Ruth. We are reading through the Bible in a year, and if you are keeping up with the reading schedule, you'll realize that it just became a little chaotic <laughs> because we are doing it chronological, not cover to cover. And so since we're following the certain chronological uh, way of doing it, we're bouncing between two or three different books at the same time. But it's very interesting. And I hope that you are in it with us. I hope that you're reading the Word uh, together day by day as best as we can. And if you missed a day or two or if you haven't even been reading, that's all right. Join with us today. Let's read together with where we are at today. And as I promised before, I'd preach out of what came out of the week prior or the week of. Sometimes I'll take a pause, like where we're at with Ruth, and stay another week or so and, and dive in to pull this apart a little bit more. But most of the time, I'll stay with the schedule. Last week when we looked at Ruth chapter 1, we saw the key word, the key part of the introductory to Ruth being to return to come back to God. Why? Well, because the beginning of Ruth is so easy to skip over. It's so easy to blow past it and get to the part to where, of course, Ruth says her famous line, verse 16, what is it? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. But if we get to that point, we just skip to it. We miss all the brokenness. We miss the despair. We miss the outright defiance of God. That was Naomi and her family, what they had done. They left where God's people were. They left Bethlehem. Why? Because there was a famine, as it says there in verse 1, in the days of the judges. Which makes sense because if everyone was doing what was right in their own sight, that's the last verse of Judges chapter 21, then everybody is being sinful. Everybody is doing wrong, for the most part, everybody. And so God is using this famine to wake them up and to bring them back to Him. But... Malon, Chilion, the sons, and Naomi's wife, Elimelech, and Naomi, 
They travel to the land of Moab instead of going back to God faithfully. They take matters into their own hands. They let their faith get closed off and they become practical. And then we're introduced to Ruth and to her sister-in-law. And then we get to the point to where Elimelech and Malon and Chilion, they all die. And it's only Ruth and Naomi left because Orpah has gone back. And that's when Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. I will take care of you. I want to be with you. I care about you this great deal. And clearly also, I think we see there in verse 16, the conversion of Ruth, where she realizes where she's at, the land that she's at, and and all the gods that are surrounding, little g gods, they're not real. They're not the right ones. But the God of Israel, He is the one true God. And she wants to go where He is as well. There's a lot of wisdom there in the fact that she is wanting to return. Look at chapter 1, verse uh, 22, where he says, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. She returned to a place that she had never been. You ever think about the wording there? She returned, but she hadn't been there before. She went to the place where God was because she realized that's where she needed to be. As well as finally Naomi realizing she has hit rock bottom. She went away full, as she said before, not in terms of finances and food, but she had her family. And she says, God brought me back empty, so call me Mara. Call me bitter. And so now she's bitter. But Ruth is taking care of her in the midst of this because she knows that this is where God is, where God's promises are, where God's word is spoken, and where the best life to be had is because that's where God is. And we learn that from a Moabite woman. It's pretty great, isn't it? But don't mistake Ruth as, as, as the song goes, you know, this one's for the girls. No, <laughs> this one is for everybody. Because in it, yes, we learn lessons from her. But as the story starts to take shape towards chapter 4, we start to see Boaz now come onto the scene. And the focus starts to shift, and it gets fully focused on him in chapter 4. But we're introduced to him in chapter 2, Boaz, who is a good man, an upright man. In chapter 2, verse 11, after uh, Ruth has gone out to gather for her and Naomi, which they could, Boaz has taken notice of her. Boaz has started to make the decision that she's going to take care of her. Why? Because verse 11 in chapter 2, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in this moment, he's praising God for where God has brought her, from the place where she was before, a land of despair and far away from God, but to being with God. But also, you know what? I think Boaz is also saying, thank you, God, that I can help, because she's in his field. He has started to take care of her and make sure that she is protected, make sure she's not assaulted, make sure she is in the place where she can actually be profitable and continue to serve her mother-in-law, Naomi, as would be best. And she brings this report back to her mother-in-law, verse 20. And it's interesting what she says. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, 
one of our redeemers. And so returning and remaining where God's people were, that was the first big point. But the rest of the book is about being redeemed and about a redeemer. So they have a kin of sorts in the person of Boaz. And Boaz is one of the family redeemers. What is a redeemer? Well, the backdrop to all of this that you have already read, if we have been keeping up with the reading, if not, I encourage you to go read this later, is both Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. In it, uh, in it, we see what the job of a kinsman redeemer is, what is outlined, how to be that, and the responsibilities of it. But you know, the Hebrew word, almost said the Greek, the Hebrew word for redeemer is goel. And it is a participle word that refers to the one that is doing the redeeming. And so in it, the same word is used where Boaz is a redeemer of the family. He is one that has that role to fulfill. But you know, as you read through those verses in Deuteronomy and those verses in Leviticus, you get this idea of what a kinsman redeemer is. You could also say that he's a patriarch, a family restorer, a family protector. That's what a redeemer is. That's what a redeemer is supposed to fulfill because if some family member had been sold into slavery, the kinsman redeemer was to buy the relative back out of slavery to return him or her to the family status and restore them to the family. That's their job. But also, he was to marry the wife of a relative that had died if she didn't have children in order to keep the family name and line going of the one who had died. And that's what's going to take place with Ruth and Boaz. He was also responsible for protecting and taking vengeance on those who might harm the family members. And you can see then that the kinsman redeemer, he was to keep the family together and he is to keep the family safe. He was the family redeemer. And so God was the Goel, the redeemer of Israel out of Egypt. Every time you see the word, and it appears a lot, or the phrase a lot in the Old Testament, how we were brought up out of Egypt. Does this phrase ring a bell? We read it a lot, how they are brought up out of Egypt or how they were brought up out of Egypt. This is what's being referred to, that God had redeemed his people, that he had got them out of slavery, that he bought them out of slavery, brought them up out of slavery and poverty, and made them his own people. Once he got them out of Egypt, what does he do? Well, we go to the mount where Moses gets the law, right? What do you need to be a people, to be a nation? You need law and you need land. So he got the law. Then he brought them towards the promised land, right, where his people were to take residence. And he established the Israelites as his people, as the family of God. God is the Goel of Israel. In the same way that Jesus is the Goel of us from both law and from sin. Look with me in two verses. I put three up here for you. But look with me first in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, talking about Jesus who is our Redeemer. By the way, I love the songs, how they had that mentioned in them. I don't know if that was on purpose, but I appreciate it. In Ephesians 1 7, He says, in him, talking about Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood. His blood paid the price to get us out of slavery of sin, out of law, and into his family. 
We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Oh, the immeasurable riches and the immeasurable depth of His grace, of the love of God. I also want to draw your attention over to Galatians 4. The verse in Romans 3 talks about how we were redeemed out of sin, how we once were slaves to sin, but no longer because we have become obedient to that standard of teaching. And so we once were as we chose sin early on. When we chose to defy God, we were slaves to sin. We belonged to the enemy. We belonged away from God. But God fulfilling, Jesus fulfilling the role of a redeemer, got us out of that. He gave us the chance. He bought us out of that with His blood. And now it's up to you and I whether or not to accept the invitation to become part of His family. And in Galatians chapter 4, Verse 4 through 7, he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God had sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The picture being very similar to a little kid looking up and saying, Dad, Daddy, this is my father. This is the one who I know and trust. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I can't help but think also of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke 15. You remember what happened? He was as far away from the father as possible. He was in the pig pen. He was muddy and disgusting and sinful. And he realized he could go back and at least be a slave and he'd have a whole lot better life. But when he gets back, do you remember what the father does? Yes, he, he sees him out a long way. He was waiting for his return. And he runs and embraces him. But do you remember what he does after that? He gives him sandals to wear. He gives him a cloak. He gives him a ring on his finger to establish that he is all of this to establish that he is not a slave, but he is a son and an heir. He is where he is supposed to be. He restored him to the family status. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and ate of the fruit, that's when the fall happened. That's when sin crept into the world. Not crept, it ran into the world, didn't it? And at that point is when we needed a Savior. At that point is when we needed somebody to restore us. Restore us to what? To the previous garden relationship that we had with God. We were walking with God. We were talking with God. We were in a perfect harmony and communion with God. And since Galatians, sorry, Genesis chapter 3, God had been working all throughout history to bring us back and restore us back to the family that we are supposed to be a part of. He's done all the work. He's paid the price that you and I can't pay, the price that was so expensive that only the blood of the Son of God could pay. And all I've got to do is reach out and take the gift. But I've got to reach out and take it. Just because He's done it doesn't mean I'm saved. There's a part that I am supposed to reach out and go back to God. All of this is the backdrop for what... uh, Boaz is going to do. And it's a foreshadowing. Boaz is a foreshadowing of the Redeemer, Christ, to come in many ways. Throughout the book of Ruth with Boaz, we see redemption being exemplified, being played out, where you and I can clearly see what a Redeemer does. 
And so in chapter 3, I'm in chapter 3 now, if you want to look there with me. In chapter 3, Naomi starts to play matchmaker. Good old mother-in-law, right? Isn't there an older song, matchmaker, matchmaker, something like that? (laughs) Here's Naomi. The older crowd got a laugh out of them. The younger one's like, what? But here's Naomi, starting to play matchmaker for her daughter-in-law in a way. Ruth has taken care of her up to this point. And now Naomi is wanting to take care of her in the long run as well. She has her best interest at heart. And so you get the script. This is what we're going to do. This is the game plan, Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 3. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down... Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. And so here's the script of what's supposed to happen. She's supposed to go in after everyone's done, after everyone's kind of asleep, and she can't really be noticed except by him when she uncovers his feet. Yes, it's a literal thing, uncovers feet. It's not you know, saying anything sexual or anything like that. This was an actual custom. And so verse 4 Verse 6, sorry. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap grain, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Straight to the script. We did it, right? This is exactly what Naomi told us to do. At midnight, the man was startled. Boy, I'd say so. (laughs) If someone uncovered my feet in the middle of the night, I'd say so. And turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, and okay, we're going off script now. But watch what she says. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This phrase that she says, spread your wings, it's about protection. And it's almost right out of what Psalm 91 verse 4 would say that we take shelter underneath His wings, and that His faithfulness is a shield, that we can take refuge there where He's at. And so in this moment, Ruth is asking outright for protection, and the law as well allows her to ask for a marriage in this way, and that's what's taking place too. She's asking for Him to redeem the family, to fulfill that role since he can, since he is in that position to be able to do so and do so successfully. Pretty bold, right? But in this moment, we've got a decision to make if we're Boaz. What are we going to do? Are we going to follow the law or are we going to not? Are we going to follow the basics of the law and just keep it there? Or are we going to try to do more good? You see, Boaz, as the story focuses more on him we see that yes he is an upright man but that he is also a good man and that goes further than what you and I usually say about people yeah he's a good person no 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 he is a good man he is a good person he goes out of his way to do more good and so at this verse 14 she lay at his feet until morning but arose before one could recognize. He says, he told her, okay, I'm going to act on this. I'm going to follow through the procedure and, and, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk to a redeemer who is in line before me. And if he doesn't, then I will. He's given her this commitment. He's given her his words here. 
And so, verse 14, she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out, the outer cloak that she's wearing. And she held it out. And he measured out six measures of barley, which I believe, if I understand correctly, is about 50 pounds, and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And I love what said, verse 16, When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Can you imagine Naomi kind of sitting in a corner chair waiting for her to come back? How did it go? (laughs) And here she is asking, did it go well? Did everything go according to plan? And she says here, or it says that she told her all that the man had done for her. Now, there are some things that we could look at in terms of... uh, that are right to do here. If you are one that is younger, if you are a teen or in your early 20s or engaged and you're in this dating world trying to figure out what to do, what not to do, I like what is said here. If you can't tell your mother and you can't tell your father, you can't tell somebody without being ashamed, everything that took place in your dating life probably shouldn't be doing it. I think that's pretty sound advice. And here she has a really good relationship to tell her everything that is taking place here. Verse 17, also saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This, this huge amount of barley, it's a token, it's a sign of goodwill that, yes, I am going to do this. And here Ruth has this heart of purity that we're after, and Boaz has a good heart that we're after as well. They'd make a good couple, wouldn't they? <laughs> she has done so much good. For her mother-in-law selflessly. She has left everything that she knows. She knows what's right to do and she does it. And here's Boaz that we're going to see that knows the right thing to do and does it. But also goes above and beyond as well. And so look in chapter 4 verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. You see at the, at the town gates, that's where all the legal proceedings would take place. That's a little weird for us. That's not necessarily what happens, but that's what happens in their uh, day and age and with their law and customs. And Boaz's righteousness is, is highlighted here. He does the right things in the right ways. But think about Ruth in this moment. At the back of her mind, we could probably, if we're reading between the lines maybe and giving more life to the story, we might be thinking if we're Ruth, Is he really going to do it? Is he really going to follow through with this? Being kind of anxious about it. Is this really going to happen? In the same way that you and I sometimes wonder that about people. But also we wonder sometimes, mistakenly, admittedly, if what we read in Scripture is really true. Are these things really true? Did these things really happen? Or is Jesus really going to come back one day? But then as we really devote ourselves to study Scripture and we really see the evidence, we're reminded of God's assurance, of God's faithfulness. And so we can step into Ruth's shoes here. And we can see that there could be a wondering, is this going to happen? Because a lot of people seem to break their word, especially nowadays, right? The word of a man is not worth too much. We need contracts. We need everything else, right? To keep it legal. But wouldn't it be nice 
if you and I as Christians could be good as God is good, the goal to be good to where when we give our word, we're going to stand by it. When we give our word and commitment to someone or something, we are going to keep it. The word of a good man is something that can be trusted, and that is what's true here with Boaz. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. This is all part within uh, Leviticus that we referred to of how the process is supposed to go. Then he said to the Redeemer, verse 3, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, remember, Naomi had her plan, right? This is how we're going to do it. This is the script. Boaz has a plan as well, I'm pretty sure, as we read this. So I thought, verse 4, that I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people saying, this is your responsibility, she's wanting this to happen, and so you have the responsibility to do it. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. (laughs) And maybe Boaz's heart sinks a little bit, right? No, this guy wants to do it. Well, part of Boaz's plan, perhaps, I held back something, verse 5. Boaz said, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That's what a redeemer is supposed to do, right? She didn't have kids with Malon, and so because of that, the redeemer is supposed to, that way, the line of Elimelech will continue on. The name will continue on. The possession will continue on in his name. (laughs) And at this, verse 6, the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so that changes it quite a bit for him, doesn't he? At this, what he is essentially saying is, this is a little too risky for me. Because you'll read in Deuteronomy 25, verse 6, that the child that they have, the firstborn, is supposed to be the heir. And so the firstborn between this redeemer and Ruth, he would acquire the inheritance and all the land of both families, not just Elimelech's, if he was the only son. So, you know, if they have another one, then yes, then then they would have their respective inheritance and you would also have a respective inheritance separated. But it's risky because if we just have one child, then everything, including mine, goes into their name and goes this way. And so he's saying it's, it's a little too risky for me, but when you think about it, it's risky for Boaz in the same way. We often, maybe without even realizing it, when we see the things that God wants us to do, perhaps we start to rationalize or say, this is too risky for me to do. When it comes to Boaz's goodness, his goodness drives him into this risky territory. And I would hope it would be the same for us because we might say, well, I'm not sure how that will turn out for me. I'm not sure I want to do that. Go to a foreign land or state, be a missionary. That's pretty risky. What if, you know, we play the what if game. Well, what about just going and talking to your neighbors? What about going and evangelizing to your community directly? You asking that person, do they know the gospel? Well, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. 
It, it seems pretty hard. I don't think I'm able to do that. What about learning to teach and to equip God's people in the body to be able to do more? Well, that too is a little risky. I'm not really up for that yet. Or what about leading prayer for the first time? Or what about learning to serve in whatever need? We can start to rationalize and talk ourselves out of it because something is risky that we haven't even done yet. And when we say it's too risky, we're given excuses to not do something good, to not act in faith. But you know, with God, something that looks too risky or that looks too impossible really isn't. Because Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, what? With God, all things are possible. But also we start to think, well, I can't bring the results that so-and-so can. I can't do it as well as them. It's not about doing it as well as somebody else. It's about you being active for God. I love what, it, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where he says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. If you're worried about the results, you're worried about the wrong thing. We are not after the results solely. Yes, we want people saved. Yes, we want people to grow in God. But if your mind is only on the results, you're, you're taking God's position. You're taking God's responsibility. That's where God works. You work in the part where he says, go, do it. Does your goodness and seeking to be good as God is good drive you into risky territory to do more for him? And at the end of this, he is the one. Boaz is the one that redeems the family. He says in verse 10, Also Ruth, the Moabite woman, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. <laughs> to perpetuate the name of someone else. That's the good thing to do. That the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses to this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, watch this blessing and this awesome privilege, make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Make this Moabite woman be like the ones who helped start the Israelites, the tw who had the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. It is a blessing for her, and it's a blessing for Boaz as well. And as we wrap up this story, remember how the story began with Naomi? It's going to end with Naomi. Because in chapter 4, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Verse 14, the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer that his name may be renowned in Israel. Verse 17, the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son had been born to Naomi. It's really Ruth's son. But you see how the focus and the love is there. They named him Obed. Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. Y'all ever heard of anybody named David in the Bible? <laughs> Pretty prominent guy. And here's his grandmother, his great-grandmother with Ruth. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. We mentioned last week that God is working in this mess to bring about a Messiah. Because in this, David is part of the seed promise that was given to Abraham. 
He is in the same lineage, and Jesus is in the same lineage of, of David as well. God continues to work out this mess to bring something so good and great. Imagine what he can do in your life if you've made a mess of your life. Boaz, as we talked about, is a foreshadow of our Redeemer's Christ. As Boaz dealt with Ruth, Christ deals with every one of his repentant people. And so the question that becomes for us this morning is, have you ever cast yourself down at the feet of Jesus to ask him to make you his own, to ask him to fully redeem you? We learn from Ruth both the fact that I can always return to God and remain with God in any and every situation, and I can be redeemed by God no matter my sin, no matter where I am at. The story starts with Naomi. It ends with her too. And it started with this big picture of of brokenness and despair and sin. But it ended with the redemption being made whole. And if you're here and you're breathing, your story's not over yet. And your story can be worked out in the same way, where you are redeemed by God through and through for the rest of your life, in the family of God, protected by God, underneath the shelter of His wing, and kept safe. I hope that's what you want, because we all want it for you if you are away from God. If you need to respond this morning in any way, let us know as we stand together and sing. Please be seated. Please turn to number 5252. After we sing this hymn, we'll participate in the Lord's Supper. By Christ redeemed in Christ restored, we keep the supper of the word and show the death of our 
further prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. I'm going to read to you a few verses from Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done that which is evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me to know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Will you pray with me? Almighty, loving, merciful Father, we come to you in prayer, remembering that perfect love that you've given to us, Father that love that was demonstrated as you gave up your only son, Jesus, so that our sins may be blotted out, so that we might be cleansed and be right in your sight, so that we can have a pure heart and be more like him. Father, as we partake of this bread, we pray that we do so in a manner pleasing to you. We pray you help us to reflect back onto that love that was demonstrated for us, Father. And we pray that we partake of this bread in a manner pleasing to you. And it's in your son's name that we pray and give thanks. Amen.
bow with me, please. <clears throat> Our dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Father, we give thanks and show our love and appreciation for taking part in this service. Father, as we partake of this cup of the true vine that represents the blood of our Lord and Savior that washes our sins away, we ask that you be with each and every one of us and forgive us of our sins. We ask that you please watch over us, and we thank you, O Lord, for the salvation that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray.
now we conclude the Lord's Supper, he also commands that we give back. Would you please bow your heads with me? Dear Father in heaven, help us to always remember that each and everything that we have in this earth is a blessing from you. Help us to always have a loving and willing heart and give back of what we have prospered so we may use what we gather here to keep this building we have and to share your word and to spread it to each and every one who needs to hear it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number 256 will be a closing hymn this morning, 256. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, nor to defend his cause. Maintain the honors of his word, the glory of his cross firm as his throne his promise stands and he can well secure what i've committed to his hands till the decisive hour then will he own my worthless name before his father's face and in the new Jerusalem appoint for me a place. I want to thank each and every one that attended today to worship the true and the living God, Jehovah. Quick reminder, please pick up a bulletin. A lot of good information there. It contains the people that we want to pray for. And please say a prayer every day. Pray as much as you possibly can. There's strength in prayer. Faith, hope, and love. Faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. The more we hear, 
the greater our faith, the greater our hope, and the greater our love for all. This is the word of God. Get into it, please. If you get into it, your faith will grow, your hope will grow, and your love will grow. Let us go to our Father in prayer. Father, as we approach your throne, thanking you, Father, for another day, another Lord's Day, knowing, Father, that every day belongs to you, but this day especially, Father, we lift up praise, honor, and glory to you, Father, for all things that are good and righteous and holy. Thank you, Father, for loving us more than we deserve. And through that love, you sent your son to die on the cross for us. That we might have hope of eternal life with you and he in heaven. If we are faithful and obedient to the end. Thank you, Father, for the word that Josh brought us today. Help us to apply that word to our lives, Father, and to share it with others before it's everlasting too late. Bless us and keep us, Father, and help us to return at the next appointed time to continue our worship of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>